Elijah. You know him hearing the Old Testament reading, the first one today. He was a very important prophet that worked in the northern kingdom, a split kingdom of Israel, in very turbulent days. You may know him as the one who was in the contest with the prophets of Baal. You heard a bit about that? Where they called upon their god, the Baal, because they wanted to prove him to be the one, the real one. No way. Baal did not send down anything to consume their sacrifice. But Elijah, on the other hand, built his altar, put his sacrifice there, and despite being drenched in water, the whole thing, God sent fire and burned it all up. And he won the day. And the prophets of Baal were no more. Elijah, the man who also ran into a woman, a widow with a son, and asked for some bread. And she said, I only have enough for my son and me for one more meal. But listening, she made that loaf for Elijah. And the flour and the oil, they never ran out. And even later, when her son died, it was Elijah who brought him back to life. Elijah, the great guy. And He was one of two Old Testament figures that never died. Do you remember Enoch? Scripture says he walked with God and was no more. Elijah, different. He was taken up to heaven by a chariot of fire. That's the man I'm talking about upon whom we focus. And in the New Testament, he was remembered as well. As a matter of fact, Jesus was mistakenly identified as Elijah come back to life. And it was Jesus who pointed to John the Baptist and said, he is Elijah, an Elijah of sorts. The one who Malachi said would come before the Messiah. Jesus said, John the Baptist is the one who is the forerunner of the Messiah. And it was also Elijah who along with Moses appeared on the mountain when Jesus showed himself to be God as well as man, the transfiguration. And it was him. It was there and then. But also when Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross to be crucified, was being crucified, he called out, Eloi, Eloi. And many thought he was calling Elijah. An important man. But he's not as often remembered for something else that you heard about a moment ago. Namely, that he was deeply distressed, deeply depressed. In that reading, you heard Jesus had, uh, Elijah had just come off that great victory with the prophets of Baal. And it was upon learning that that King Ahab and especially Queen Jezebel were They were angry, Jezebel the most, and she vowed that she would kill Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of God. Depressed, he was, especially with that news. And you know what depression is. It's that dark cloud that hangs over a person, mind and more, producing sadness, uh, even a despair at time, 
and hopelessness. It may come out of a normal, understandable situation, but even otherwise. Depression is sometimes called circumstantial. That's a kind of depression that certainly Elijah experienced in this particular case. Some people get depressed after being frightened. Maybe their life is threatened or something else in their life. It happened with Elijah and Jezebel. So much so, the circumstance was that Elijah said, did you hear he prayed that he might die. That's distress. That is depression, circumstantially. And it happens not only when we would expect it, but you know, sometimes depression affects people like Elijah and like us when things have gone well. I mean, he had just won a victory. God did through him and through his work. And yet he fell into depression and wished that he might die. This is how depression works. You never know. It could be something negative one experiences or even something positive. Whether we understand it or not, the dynamic is there. It happens expected and unexpected ways. There are some folks who get seriously depressed about very big things. Things that are out of their control things that go beyond them and really they can't deal with except internally. Maybe for a short time, maybe for a longer period of time, maybe for a really long period of time and they become depressed as with, for instance, family matters. I mean, they'll pop up from time to time, but some of those family matters, whatever they may be, they are distressing and they are ongoing and they often lead to depression. Or think of the last couple of years with COVID. That certainly became for many a time of depression where locked up, if not literally, figuratively isolated. And isolation brings on distress and depression. It does, especially when separated from family, not by choice, but by decree sickness of COVID itself was enough to distress and depress people, to be sure. That's the kind of thing that happens at large and very personal kinds of things. We can look at things at large, like the state of the world, the state of the country, and so many other things, but also very personal things, like loss. People lose a pet. Those who don't have them don't fully understand. But that can lead to a cloud hanging over one's head a little bit or longer. A loss of a spouse, certainly, even more uh, fully, deeply in one's life and deeply in one's heart. Finances can crash. A house can be ruined or even totally destroyed something very personal brings upon the same thing, any kind of personal loss. One that's not just for a moment, but one that lasts a day, a week, a month, even longer. It's a deep 
gripping downward spin. How else can one describe it? Not only circumstantial depression, but clinical. Clinical, that is a sickness, and that's another form of depression. One that takes hold even more powerfully, lasts even longer, sometimes sticks with the person even for life. It's a category of mental illness. It's one that people shiver to hear about, even more so to deal with. It's part of a person's makeup that's not able to be controlled. It's how that person is wired, not necessarily as God would intend, but a weakness produced by the brokenness that is around us. It is pervasive, treated by medication, by counsel, in lots of different ways. This, by the way, is the kind of thing, the depression that I deal with. It is not by choice. It is one that comes upon people like me and attacks. Overall, I can cope with a lot of things, and I do. It's part of my nature, and I have my good days, but I get ambushed because something has never left, and that's that, that grip of depression that expresses itself from time to time. I can't control it. I can't preclude it. I can't brush it off. I get ambushed out of the blue too many times. It takes hold and it lasts. Gratefully, it's not permanent, but it's never too far away. It runs in my family. My mom struggled with it. My sister, too. And it ultimately was the cause that led her to take her own life. That's serious stuff. And it's not just today. It's in the likes of Elijah that we've begun to put our finger upon. But more, King David, King David as well. You remember his affair with Bathsheba? And it was Nathan who confronted him about his sin, and it cut deeply in his heart, David's. And it was then that he authored Psalm 51, that we read and we use as we confess our sins, even from the depths of our heart. And then the child of Bathsheba and David died, died and depression set in for David to be sure. And Jonah, Jonah too, remember? God sent him on a mission to call people to repentance in Nineveh. And he did so, but only reluctantly. But when he was successful and people turned to God, do you remember Jonah's reaction? He was depressed. He felt it wasn't right. It wasn't fair. He sat under tree, under a tree, totally distressed and depressed. And Jeremiah, the author likely of what you heard from Lamentations today, a man who also started, a man who was called the crying prophet because of oppression that was levied against him time and again. And Job, another J, obviously Job. Great difficulties, the depths of depression to be sure. And it was also Jesus, you see. Do you remember, baptized and ready to go into his ministry he was tempted 40 days alone in the wilderness 
until Satan came and buffeted him with all kinds of temptation. You have to understand that that was a low point for some time for Jesus. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane as he struggled in prayer. One could understand distress, to be sure, and maybe even a circumstantial type of depression. And on the cross, it echoes the words of Isaiah. Remember how he prophesied? He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, we held him in low esteem. A poetic description of what the Lord experienced in the depths of his soul. And it was not just then, it's today, and even in the past recent days. Martin Luther, although some time ago, Martin Luther King Jr., they struggled with the very same thing. We don't know whether these folks, what they experienced was circumstantial or clinical, doesn't really matter. It was depression that gripped them and it was real. It was very real and it is, it is everywhere. Do you realize that in America today, 18 million people are in the grips of that at one point or another in one degree or another, one out of 10, one out of 10. And it's often, it is the leading prelude to suicide as the studies show. Now understand, depression is not a punishment. It's a malady. What God's role in it, and that is difficult to understand. Difficult, we know what God can make out of suffering, of which depression is a part, but to fully understand his purposes, we always come up short. But we step back in faith and we step back in hope because God gives us that in the midst of our depression. Depression is a result of sin. That is the brokenness, the condition in which we live, that we've brought upon ourselves. It's not a sign that there's no faith present in a person, although it can show that there's a weakness of faith. But depression is gripping. And then the question is, what do we do? What do we do with it? Whether it's about ourselves or whether it's about others. Well, certainly we've got to recognize it. We can't ignore it. We can't pretend like depression isn't there, that it doesn't exist, that it doesn't afflict. We can recognize it and that it's even very close. But not just recognize, then deal with it. Whether it's in ourselves, with ourselves, or deal with it with other people. To help, not to push other people away, to not be afraid that it may be contagious, but in dealing with it to help. To help others with kindness, with patience, and with understanding. And to realize that as we help, there's a spiritual dimension to the problem and the solution. Ephesians chapter 6 says, we battle against spiritual forces, spiritual forces that are beyond us. Satan whispers and even shouts into our ears. But God gives us armor, armor to fend off such and even more. 
Help comes in a few ways. We can help ourselves. We can help each other. Whether that's professional help or whether that's one to another as Christians. Certainly spiritual Christian spiritual help through conversation, as I mentioned. Through prayer, individually or with one another. As we can, in available Christian resources that address this. I've read more than one and even getting professional help from one of the faith. And certainly, certainly Scripture itself. Remember, know there is good news from God for all of this. Turn to the Psalms. I've often found it difficult to to follow, to understand, to, to try to make sense of the Psalms. And I finally did, at least to a degree. There are many Psalms of lament, and they come out of distress, even depression. But as we read, they shift. And what they shift from is that to God's answer, to God's rescue. And it's there that we can't identify, as in Psalm 34, that says the Lord is near. Not far away, but close. It's like Jesus said, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. Or First Peter, cast all your care upon him. He cares about you. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble in the world. He told his disciples then, and to you and me today. You'll have trouble, but, but I've overcome the world, including this malady. So that Paul could write in Romans 8, nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know. You don't know. Together we don't know what kind of depression these people that I've mentioned had. Was it circumstantial? Well, in part for Elijah, but maybe more. And the others, we don't really know, but God knows. God knows, but we do know this. As Satan shouts, and even as he whispers, the Lord whispers words of assurance that he's present. Remember Elijah? It wasn't with great fanfare. It wasn't with tremendous wind or an earthquake or with fire but it was in this small, still voice. Listen, God promises to help. God loves you. God loves me, no matter what. We don't have to deserve it because you see, that's what love is, true love. God shows it. We get to receive it and to share it. You and I belong to him. Hold on to that. Me too. In Jesus' name. Amen.